0: Hello and welcome back to episode 78 plus of Sensational She Geek live from Yancy Street. I took a couple of weeks off of the past beginning of September, I suppose, as there are various adjustments and things changing in life and through my day job. Um, I'm going to be starting up a new day job soon um, and I hope that will not be affecting the podcast too much, but if it does, I will keep you updated. Since this is a catch-up episode, we're going to be going over quite a bit. We have news really since the beginning of September to cover. Um, We have rumors. We have uh, some Star Wars news. We have some Harley Quinn news. um, Let's see, more Star Wars news. DC news, rumors, rumors. Doctor Who news and some talk about trailers. And then, of course, we have had Disney Plus Day a couple of weeks ago and D23. So I'm going to go over everything, uh, the trailers, the general news, Lucasfilms news, MCU news, um, all of that from D23, covering everything that we learned there. Uh, And then we have comic book picks from three different weeks. One week, uh, we have a week from the comics from the week of the 31st. Uh, week of the 7th of September and the week of the 14th of September. And of course, we have a new list of comic book polls coming out this week. The week of the twenty first, um, and so I'll be talking about those comic book polls on this podcast episode as well. Finally, I um, I'm getting more and more behind on the coverage of shows right now, but I want to make sure that we cover all of the missed the, uh, that the non-covered so far. She Hulk episodes that is going to be episode three, four, and five. As episode six, and this is going to be out of nine episodes. Remember, is premiering on the twenty second. And I also have, um, or I will have on the next podcast, hopefully I'll be catching up with the Harley Quinn show, which has had its finale of this, uh, of this third season, and also of uh, both House of the Dragon, which I'm I very meh about, um, and Rings of Power, which I am thoroughly enjoying. So we'll talk about those on the next episode. I just really wanted to make sure that I catch up and cover all of the um, uncovered She-Hulk episodes on this week's episode. So let's go ahead and move on here. Real quick here before we get started, please feel free to join the Yancey Street Discord. There is a fresh invite link at the bottom of each episode's description. The Discord is a safe, friendly place for socialization and discussion of whatever you want really, comics, pop culture, or otherwise. And it's also where you can go to find links or images mentioned during the podcast all in one place. You can find me most easily on social media via Instagram. My username is at Anna with the Comics because my name is Anna and hey, I've got a other- a lot of comics. Uh, my podcast updates, if you want to find those, they'll be mostly on Twitter, where my username is at SavageSheGeek, because Sensational was too many letters. My website is SensationalSheGeek.Weebly.com, where I have been working on fixing up the site quite a bit so that it is still relevant in addition to the podcast, so make sure you go and check that out, including my beginner's guide to both comics and manga, covering hopefully any information that you might need to take your first steps into the world of comics or manga, including recommendations on comics, graphic novels, manga, series, etc. Uh, I also have my reading orders with commentary on appearances of various leading ladies, many of which I use to turn into the monthly Yancey Street specials also linked all over my site, Uh, and they focus on a so far female character from the comics to study thoroughly and then expand upon in a podcast episode of their own. I try to make them pretty relevant. For example, I'm about 95% done with a Jennifer Walters She-Hulk episode, which is going to be coming out uh, for her show this August. Additionally, anything pre-2021 content-wise can be found written in the website blog for your reference, which was all before I started the podcast. Plus my podcast notes, which are basically all the content of each episode in written format, are made available on my blog as well for reading the podcast instead of listening and for those who are hearing impaired if they'd like to keep up with the podcast events as well. And you can finally find links to anywhere that you can listen to the podcast, which is most if not all podcast hosting apps and also includes YouTube. On YouTube, I also post the podcast episodes in a single playlist format, if that is an easier way for you to listen. And I also occasionally post action figure review videos. It has been a lot more imports in the latest videos, as I have pretty much given up on Hasbro's Marvel Legends line, Uh, but I do have a big backlog of Legends videos, including a tour of our entire collection. It's a very long video tour. And soon the Haslab Galactus, assuming that he is on his way to go alongside last year's Haslab Sentinel video. I do have a podcast Patreon. You can find it under Sensational She Geek. It's set up for donations to support the podcast, as well as a Ko-fi, which is like a buy a creator a coffee situation. And Cash App, Venmo, PayPal are all linked on my link tree for donation towards the podcast, which should appear linked among various other fun things at the bottom of each episode's description. Uh, I do also have a Redbubble shop called Geek Shop, but I have been having some issues with their site and whatnot, Um, so I'm working on setting up my own storefront on my site, which hopefully will be coming by the new year and will be faster with more support from listeners. Alright, so starting off with a little bit of personal news here, um, and just general things. First off, Andor is now streaming on Disney+. Plus. They have the first three episodes of this first season. It's going to be out of two seasons. Those first three episodes are up for viewing today on Disney+, Plus. if you would like to check those out. Andor is basically the precursor story to Star Wars Rogue One, or Rogue One, a Star Wars story. The, the Rogue One movie. Um, Starring Diego Luna, um, of course, back as Cassian Andor Absolutely everything that I have heard about this show um, through its premiere here has been really, really good news I have heard that it is exactly the kind of Star Wars show that we want to watch Oh, it was, um, if you want to hear somebody's review, they had an early release for certain people who were fans who reviewed these things Um, Mr. Sunday Movies is a YouTuber who I think he does a podcast as well. Um, or post the podcast on YouTube, kind of similar as me, but fancier probably, um, he was able to see the first episodes before anybody else, um, before the general public. And so if you go to Mr. Sunday Movies on YouTube or on wherever his podcast is, uh, you can definitely check out his um, his review of the first episodes of the Andor series. Um, they have some really, really good notes on that, and it just makes me more excited to watch that really when I'm done with this, <laughs> um, another show that was up, I believe on Amazon, um, <laughs> the resort really good show, um, has a really great cast in it. Very interesting premise, yada, yada, yada. One thing that I, I, if you watch it that I want, would, pre- I, I would suggest you pay attention to would be the music. Um, they did a really good job picking out music that was both tropical Uh, that's the bad way of saying that, huh, like an island feel kind of to it, Um, but also a little bit creepy. (laughs) Uh, Really did a fantastic job of picking the music, so um, I definitely recommend The Resort. Uh, I believe it's on Amazon Prime. Um, As I have been taking some time off the past three weeks now, uh, you may be wondering, what have I been doing? I already mentioned I uh, got myself a new job, um, in less than a week from leaving my old job, so go me. Um, (laughs) uh, but I have also been, uh, my husband got me set up with his Xbox controller at my computer, and I have been doing, um, cloud gaming. (laughs) What have you been gaming in it? Um, Disney Dreamlight Valley. The game I'm pretty sure is made for children. <laughs> I don't think it's actually made for children. I'm not sure who the target audience is. I kind of have an idea, but I'm not going to get into it here. So much fun. Um, I am a rare gamer, and by that I mean I do not game very often. Um, to find a game that sucks me in like this, where I spend 10 plus hours (laughs) over the course of multiple days in a week, uh, playing it is unheard of for me. It's not unheard of. It's happened twice before. First time it was with Horizon Zero Dawn. The second time it was with the Adventure Time game, um, Pirates of the Enchiridion, I think is what it was called. (laughs) It just absolutely sucked me in. And this one, very similar. If you don't like really, like, Anxious things happen like you don't like time stuff in the games. You just want to be able to wander around a world and do stuff at your own pace This is completely The game for you Um, And yes, it is all Disney characters and because of that I highly recommend you turn the voice controls all the way off because it gets really annoying to hear Goofy, I don't know gagging on his own tongue anytime you walk past him. I don't know, but anyway um Other things that are kind of new this week, we have the solicitations for Big Two Comics coming in December. This is Marvel and DC Comics that we are going to be having uh, through the month of December. They have released the solicitations for what those are going to be. And if you would like to get ahead of ordering those comics to make sure that you have them received at your local comic book shop, I have all of that posted on my blog website, sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. Um, and you can check out what is coming at the end of the year. Finally, I also have a couple of new action figure review videos that I posted on YouTube. Um, and I have a couple more on the way. Um, the last one that I posted was uh, the Silk, f- the, the newest Marvel Legends Silk who came in the two pack. Um, I did not get her from Marvel Legends. We got her from somebody who didn't want that figure, wanted the other guy in the two pack. So that video is up there. Um, I was working on a Sailor Moon Eternal video and the figure fell apart in my hands. Um, it is back together now. Everything is fine and dandy, but, um, I'm going to be having to finish that episode, that video and post it again. Um, or rather for the first time sometime here soon. And I think I still haven't posted the Chibi Yusa figure, the Chibi Moon figure. I don't think I've posted that one either. So I got to check Um, Check all that out and see if what I'm behind on proposing things Point being, there's new stuff on the YouTube channel as well So make sure you check that out Now let's get into the traditional sections of the news Starting off with Brendan Fraser in The Whale Now The Whale is not a movie that I probably would have ever even considered watching If it was not for Brendan Fraser As far as I understand, and I don't understand it that much um, It's about a father-daughter relationship that's that's the very 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 basic of it, I think. Um, but why we're talking about this has absolutely nothing to do with anything except that Brendan Fraser had a, and I know it's it's really stupid the whole celebrity uh, worship if you know of each other, you know, they give these like eight minute long standing ovations. Come on. Okay. Get this. Like that, that sounds ridiculous. Let's be honest. Um, but apparently he did get one of those ridiculous standing ovations after his performance in the whale premiered at the, I believe Toronto international film festival. Um, and his performance in the movie is being called more than Oscar worthy. Um, so he, you couldn't, I wouldn't guarantee it because, you know, things, but, um, he is probably going to be in the running for best actor or supporting actor or something of that, like in the 2023, God, what year is it? (laughs) Academy Awards. Um, and what does all of this mean? Well, (laughs) it means that, um, if the Batgirl movie had not been canceled, by the pussyfooting basically and greed of Warner Discovery. Um they could have had a movie with the headline on the poster pretty much saying co-starring Academy Award-winning actors Brendan Fraser and Michael Keaton making his return as the Batman. How fantastic is that for a marketing line on a movie poster? Holy crap. Brendan Fraser is notoriously loved. Michael Keaton is notoriously loved as Batman. People love seeing the Academy Awards stuff on movie posters. Come on, Warner Brothers. I hope you're sweating right now because you messed that one up. Canceling Batgirl, you guys had something really good in the making. Um, And I think that's just becoming more and more clear That was not a good call. Uh, And you're just going to have to suck it up and deal with it. No, I do not expect Warner to put out the movie ever i don't think we were ever going to see any tiny bit of it the only circumstance that that would happen in would be if their offices were to be physically raided or possibly digitally i don't know how things work these days and it was to be published online without their knowledge somehow that is literally the only way we're ever going to see any portion of this batgirl movie um and and why that is because simply you know they have already said the thing they're doing it for tax purposes you can't go back on that unless you're paying all of the tax credits back. And in what reality are they going to do that? It doesn't exist. So uh, yeah, we're not going to see this Batgirl movie, but um, the one thing that I am still like, the one good thing that comes out of this is those execs are probably regretting it already. And that makes me happy. We do have a couple of points of Star Wars news this week. One is great and one is a little bit sad. Uh, so we'll start with the we'll start with the little bit sad news, I guess, because we like ending things off on a high note. Um, uh, So the sad news is the fact that uh, it's surrounding Rogue Squadron, which was the Patty Jenkins uh, Star Wars movie that she was in charge of. If, and you will know Patty Jenkins from the Wonder Woman movies and other things. I think she's an Academy Award-winning director, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But she was given Rogue Squadron as a project uh, for Star Wars films, and that movie has now been... Removed from the release schedule for Disney, uh, which is taken pretty much as its cancellation. However, that really cannot come as very surprising at this point because, as Variety stated, the window for Rogue Squadron to start filming in time to complete the movie by next December was very nearly closed. So there really isn't any way they could have had that come out. Um, it was it was kind of just too too much too fast. Um, or at least at this point it is, why the movie was actually cancelled Um, it seems that there were scheduling issues that pushed it back and, and then just kind of never made any headway after that. Another line from Variety here regarding what Rogue Squadron was, it says, Rogue Squadron was expected to be the first Star Wars movie to play in theaters since 2019's The Rise of Skywalker. Disney and Lucasfilm are busy developing separate Star Wars features, one with Waititi, Taika Waititi, another with The Last Jedi filmmaker Ryan Johnson, and a third with Marvel chief Kevin Feige. But there's been little to no information available about any of those endeavors, so it's unclear which of those will be the first to hit theaters. When Jenkins first announced the spin-off in 2020, she evoked the thrill of watching her late father, who served as a fighter pilot in the U.S. military, and referred to Rogue Squadron as her desire to, quote, "...one day making the greatest fighter pilot movie of all time." While um apparently this movie is not happening, I hope that Patty Jenkins does have her dreams come true and is able to make that fighter pilot movie in honor of her late father. Now, to make things a little happier, um, the novel, Star Wars novel, um, The Princess and the Scoundrel, which is written by Beth Revis, and it is now on sale. I have yet to take very much of a dip into the world of Star Wars novels. Um, I actually own a few that I have not read, but I really want to. Uh, it's just so much going on. <laughs> Specifically, I'd like to get into the trilogy of Padme books, but anyway... Um, Beth Revis has written a number of Star Wars books that have all had excellent reviews, and now The Princess and the Scoundrel is going over the relationship. Predictably, of Leia Organa and Han Solo. Um, This is filling in not only their wedding, but the love story between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, which is chronologically, of course, when we see them next. I do have an article that I'll link in the description with uh, little blurbs from various Lucasfilm's creators on the designing of the gown and bouquet for Leia's wedding, which was provided inside the book as art. as well as some notes from the author, again Beth Revis, and you can check that is a Collider link that'll be down in the description below. Uh, but what it is described as is a flowing green gown with Leia's brown hair down in waves in the back. The dress is so very much reminiscent of Leia in Return of the Jedi. I would also say it's very reminiscent, uh, at least her hairstyle, of the kind of thing her mother would have worn. Um, so I think that's pretty appropriate. It, this was just a really nice thing. I'm always pro. Um, filling Star Wars legends out in more than just movies. Um, You can fill out these. There's a whole universe of stories to be told. So I like that they're uh, continuing to put out Star Wars books, and they are continuing to be excellent. Moving into some DC uh, production, I suppose, news, starting off with The Harley Quinn Show. Um, After the crazy Warner Brothers Discovery debacle, uh, the fate of the show was very uncertain as they just started canceling all kinds of projects, including a plethora of comic book ones, such as the Batgirl movie. Uh, But lo and behold, Harley Quinn has been renewed for season four. I think the show is just way too popular um, and too successful for them to to try canceling right now. Um, Unfortunately, we still do not know the fates of Titans, Doom Patrol, or Young Justice, all of which were premiering on HBO Max as well. Um, I think we don't know those fates, uh, so hopefully at some point before too long we will get an idea of if we're going to get an additional season or anything for those projects. And as for Harley Quinn, the season finale, which is episode 10, is live on HBO Max as of last week, so make sure you check that out, and I will be covering the finale on the next episode. Further into DC Productions updates, we've talked before about how DC is looking for their, what we're calling their Kevin Feige. (laughs) Uh, And Dan Lin was very much looking like he was going to be the one to pick up that mantle. However, uh, it's now confirmed that Lin will not become DC's new Kevin Feige type leader of upcoming superhero movies and series uh, because their negotiations broke down. I'm not really sure what the actual title of the role that he would get, would be. Uh, but the official word is that he would have been, quote, running the company's film and TV adaptations of DC Comics. Um, why were they looking at Lin? Because he's, kn- he's known for the Lego movie universe, basically. Um, what they said is he has an intimate familiarity with the source material and experience guiding a global franchise in the Lego movies. They're fine. I mean, I, I, I didn't think the Lego movies were that special, but I guess they have a huge backing. Um, and from Variety, we have some discussion on why the negotiations kind of fell through. It says, one sticking point in the talks was Lynn's desire for Warner Brothers Discovery to acquire a stake in his production company, Rideback, which would have continued on had Lynn taken on the DC role. Terms, however, could not be reached, and Lynn and Warner Brothers Discovery parted ways or agreed to part ways. They also suggest that, quote, "...initial reports of his commitment to taking on the role were perhaps overly enthusiastic, given his ongoing commitment to ride back." So that kind of makes sense. Um, I was pretty excited to have somebody who was being brought in who was not a white man, um, which is really what a lot of the issues we're having with Warner Brothers Discovery right now are, is the fact that that's who has taken charge. They really need some different perspectives. You need more than that one perspective. You really do. especially to be a successful media production company in the modern era. You really need more than just the straight white perspective to make that work. Um, and so he was looking like a really good one, but if he's clearly got his own production company that he's very busy with, that's why this isn't going forward. Um, the studio chiefs who are currently running the current slate of DC projects are Michael DeLuca and Pamela Abdi. Um, if you have anything to do with that information. Now, one thing that I'm really stuck to, really sticks in my mind through all of this discussion of um, yeah, uh, who is, who's taking up this mantle of the Kevin Feige type stuff, but at DC, we really don't need a cohesive storytelling universe, which is what they're saying they're trying to put together here. We just want good projects to be put out. They don't need to connect to be good. I promise you that. <laughs> you can give us a decade a, a decade's slate worth of movies. Give us 15 movies in there. Give us 15 different versions of Justice League. I don't care. None of them connected. 15 sets of actors. I don't care. As long as they're all good, I will watch every single one of those movies and buy into all of them. Like... I just want them. I just want it to be good. It doesn't need to connect. You don't need to have these overarching. I I know that's what Marvel like got started with, but Marvel, like they made fun of their themselves at D23 with the Simpsons, with the Simpsons panel. Um, they made fun of themselves for the whole, like setting up, Oh, phase one and this cohesive universe and blah, blah, blah. Like they, they know that it's silly and they know that people are like noticing it's silly. It's, We're talking about superheroes still, guys. It doesn't have to be some genius, overblown thing. It's actually a very simple concept. Make good stories. In a similar ballpark, we have more Henry Cavill rumors at both Marvel and DC. Um, Esquire, I came across this article recently, Esquire says... Um, that, quote, Henry Cavill can do better than Marvel's leftovers. Uh, And I gotta talk about that for a second, because they clearly have no idea what they're talking about. As far as options for the future go, Marvel has only taken a handful of players off the board. There are still still 75% of a massive comic universe of characters, many of which fans are rearing to see on the live screen. Take Captain Britain, for example, uh, one role that Cavill has been rumored for years now to be in talks for. Not only does the entire continent of Great Britain want to see him on screen, now don't hold me to that, it's not actually a fact, there are masses of American readers and fans who have been begging for this character too. He isn't leftovers whatsoever, he's actually quite popular, and he's only one of those rumored characters that Cavill is supposedly in talks for. You've also got him in talks supposedly for <laughs> Gambit, Hyperion, Wolverine, Reed Richards. God, the entire, the entire X-Men haven't even been touched yet. And that is just one of Disney's, not just Marvels, they are one of all of Disney's most popular properties, the X-Men. But yeah, anything from here on out is just the leftovers, Esquire. (laughs) This mindset is also what will eventually bring the MCU crashing down. The refusal to believe that anything pretty much post-Iron Man era is worth watching, when in reality, before the MCU took off, Iron Man was a B-list comic character at best. He was not popular in the slightest, heyday long past, mostly unknown to folks, but pre-2008, if you thought Iron Man, you were thinking of the Black Sabbath song. So calling any of these characters leftovers is really um, kind of, uh, I don't want to say offensive, but is, is like is is, in, is inaccurate to the creativity that we have clearly seen coming out of the creators who are putting together the MCU. Obviously, it has flaws, but um, to kind of put together what they have done, it, it it's it's a little bit you you can't be a dumb. they've taken characters like Iron Man and they've made them into something that you know nobody. For decades, will ever question details about Iron Man because he's just that well known now. Um, and to say that the rest of them, the rest of the characters are Marvel leftovers, you're just burying your head in the sand and pretending that they haven't already proved you wrong before. So, anyway, as for the Cavill uh, DC rumors, these obviously circulate around the chance of his appearance a reappearance, I guess, as Superman kal Clark Kent, choose your pick. Um, obviously, the Black Adam talk at Comic-Con had Dwayne Johnson confirm that Cavill is not going to be in that movie, um, which I think he actually got booed when he said that, but some fans are still pretty insistent that he's just trying to trick them, which I don't think so, but okay. Um, reminder that Cavill has not been seen in DC movies since 2017, which was the original Zack Snyder's Justice League. We did see him in 20. 21 in that, Um, and we also saw Superman in Shazam and in Peacemaker, but That was a headless cameo, which there have been a plethora of jokes about ever since. Um, The reason that these rumors are still ongoing is because of some insider who tweeted uh, an image of Dwayne Johnson from the movie, along with an apparent dialogue exchange between him and another character. He says, There is no one on this planet that can stop me, and the other character says, Good thing I'm not from this planet. Uh, the first line is obviously stated by Black Adam. It was stated in the most recent trailer. Uh, it was actually the what they're calling the darkness TV spot, if you wanted to look that up. Um, I, I don't think we're going to see Superman in this, but we'll know as of Friday, October 21st. Jodie Whittaker's final appearance as Doctor, as the Doctor, I should say, will be uh, happening in the now-announced Power of the Doctor episode. Uh, BBC debuted a new poster and a few first look images for this special, which is going to be airing as part of the BBC centenary celebrations. I wonder why they're not saying centennial. Um, This will also be the last episode, as I said, to feature Jodie Whittaker as the 13th Doctor before she regenerates into Inkutigawa as the 14th. In this episode, we're going to be seeing Mandeep Gill and John Bishop reprising their roles as companions, Yasmin Khan and Dan Lewis, respectively. We're also going to see the Nemesis, the Nemesis, the Master, I'm reading things backwards, the Master appearing as the Doctor's Nemesis, played by Sasha Dewan, uh, who we last saw in the end of the 12th series. And on the note of Sasha Dewan, he has apparently already seen this special in its entirety, and he he would like to say that. uh, it's going to be epic and moving. And when I watched the episode myself, I thought, "I'm so glad we landed that because it kind of takes your breath away a bit." So I have pretty high hopes. <laughs> I don't think you would be saying that he'd be saying that they landed it if it wasn't really good. Um, there was a teaser image of. Uh, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor, alongside two classic companions, Tegan, Javanka, and Ace, played by Janet Fielding and Sophie Allred, respectively. And then after this special happens and we, at whatever point, move on to the next Doctor, the next special that we're going to be getting is going to be for the show's 60th anniversary, that one will be featuring David Tennant, Catherine Tate, the late and great Bernard Cribbins, and Neil Patrick Harris, alongside Yasmin Feeney, who I'm not sure who they're playing. Uh, but that one will be coming in October, and we aren't really sure if we're going to be meeting in Kutsigawa on this centenary episode called The Power of the Doctor or the 60th anniversary episode. That has not really been clarified yet, but I'm kind of... Really hoping that it's the centenary one because I don't really want to um have Jodie Whittaker written off basically after she leaves being the doctor. I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like going from her to him is more appropriate than from Tennant to him. Finally, we did have new trailers for Weird Al and Black Adam. Every time I talk about the Weird Al trailer, the Weird Al uh, show or whatever it's going to be movie, um, I know it's going to be on Roku. That's about all I know. It's it's going to be good. I know that too. Because you have Daniel Radcliffe playing Weird Al. Now, as a personal note, I am a lifelong Weird Al fan. Um, I know his versions of American Pie uh, you know, The Saga Begins. I know that version by heart way better than I know American Pie. Um, There's a number of songs. Um, Amish Paradise, I know way better. I mean, I don't think I even know much about the original, to be honest. I know I've heard it, but I could not sing it. I can sing you the entire Amish Paradise song. Basically, Running With Scissors was the soundtrack to my childhood. The fact that I can pull up that album name off the top of my head shows you that I am indeed... lifelong Weird Al fan. Um, Also, fun fact, I live in the county where he went to college for architecture of all things. I don't think he graduated. This movie might talk about it. I'm very curious. But anyway, um, we have Daniel Radcliffe playing Weird Al, and he is not singing the music. He is lip syncing to the Weird Al music. And he is buff, and he looks nothing like Weird Al, I am just so excited for how ridiculously stupid this movie is going to be. Um, in addition, if you like need any kind of confirmation that, that Daniel Radcliffe was a great choice for this, there's some... Um, uh, I know it's on Weird Al's social media pages because, of course, I follow him. Um, I know it's on his Instagram, the photo shoot that the two of them did together, him and Dan Radcliffe. Um <laughs> really funny thing about that photo shoot is you can tell... Who is the actor and who is the truly kooky dude? Um, because you get Daniel Radcliffe, a lot of these photos, they're, they're doing the same poses, um, or doing the same thing. And Daniel Radcliffe, you can see he's posed and you can see Weird Al has thrown his entire body into it. You know, there's, they're, they're posed by a fountain and Dan Radcliffe is pretending to jump into the fountain. Weird Al is in the fountain. He is soaking wet. You know, you can see, tell the actor from the actual, it's really funny. It's a very sweet photo shoot. I'm just super stoked for, um, seeing this project come out. The Black Adam trailer, I already kind of talked about a little bit uh, when talking about the Henry Cavill rumors. The Darkness TV spot was the most recent one that was released. Um, he's definitely getting more into the like ness of things, which I very much want to see because I don't think anybody wants to see Black Adam be like a hero in this movie. Uh, maybe that's just us here in our house, but we definitely don't want to see him be a hero. We want to see him mess people up. D23 happened the first weekish or so, week and a half of September. So, we're going to go over everything that we learned about that now. Um, A lot of this information is taken from Twitter. I will tag the account that I took a lot, who was live-tweeting a lot of this, that I took a lot of this information from. Um, So we're going to go over the sections that I have here, trailers, general news, Lucasfilms news, and MCU news. Uh, So starting off with the trailers, we had the first teaser trailer for the live-action Little Mermaid. Obviously, this is a trend that Disney has been doing, remaking these classic animated movies uh princess one's usually into live action. It's kind of touch and go if they're gonna they that with Lion King too, not sure why, honestly. Um it, that one wasn't so great as other ones that are kind of, that are good. You know, it's 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 hit and miss. Um I would Corella was a miss, but whatever. <laughs> the Little Mermaid, I do not think is gonna be a miss. Uh, it's starting Hallie Bailey, I hope I'm saying her last name or Hallie yeah, no, that's right. I was thinking Halle Berry. (laughs) No, Halle Bailey um, who is a phenomenal singer. You just have to listen to the trailer to tell. Um, But something that's more important than... This property, I guess, um, is the reactions to this trailer. Um, you can look them up; they're all over TikTok and the internet. The reactions of little black girls seeing a black Ariel for the first time and not having known that that's what was going to be in this movie. It is fantastic. If you watch those video clips and do not tear up at all, I do not want to know you. <laughs> they wrench your heart out. It is all the. All of the proof that you need that this was the right decision for them to cast this woman as Ariel. I, I I think they did a great job. I think she looks great. I am super excited to see all kinds of little black girls dressed up as Ariel over the next couple of years. Super stoked. We also got a, another trailer for Andor. Um, Kathleen Kennedy presented some stuff about that show, which is out today, so I guess it's not really too big to talk about at the moment. We did finally get the season three Mandalorian trailer, which looks awesome. The cast on stage at this panel was Pedro Pascal, Giancarlo Esposito, Katie Sackhoff, Emily Swallow, and Amy Sedaris. I'm really happy that all of those characters are going to be making returns. Uh, Emily Swallow, if you weren't sure, is playing the armor. Katie off, of course, is playing bo um and then we had a bit of Amy Amy Ferris talked about how much she was allowed to improvise um and what she is and isn't allowed to say in space. She says that she was surprised. you can say grandpa in space. I feel like. There is a joke behind that that I'm not missing, or that I am missing. (laughs) But anyway, Mando Season 3 trailer is out there. It looks really exciting. What else is new? Uh, Tales of the Jedi is coming out October 26th. Uh, The trailer for that one came out, and they will be dropping all six shorts of this series at once on the 26th of October, just over a month away now. We got a teaser trailer for Secret Invasion. Um, the footage that we saw at D23, or that they saw, opened with Rhodey telling Nick Fury that he has known about Skrulls for 15 years when the Pen- When the Pentagon brought him into some program or another. Um, we also, I think, learned that Armor Wars yep, will be spinning out of Secret Invasion. We'll get to more of that in a little bit. Let's see, Werewolf by Night, we also got the first trailer for This is actually going to be their Halloween special. I thought this was going to be its own show, but it's not. It's a Halloween special. It is going to be starring Gail Garcia Bernal and Laura Donnelly, uh, who I believe was in The Nevers, and it is directed by Michael Giacchino um, in, in these... Uh, those first two characters, Gail Garcia Bernal and Laura Donnelly, they will be apparently playing Jack Russell and Elsa Bloodstone. Jack Russell was the original of the Werewolves by Night. Uh, There is a second one that is more modern. I believe he is a Latino character. I can't recall his name off the top of my head right now. But Elsa Bloodstone is a really fun one to put in here because she is a... um, You know, for a lot of times it doesn't really feel appropriate to call these less known characters B-list or C-list characters because they are wildly popular. They're just not really put in the comics that much. Elsa Bloodstone is one of those characters. When she shows up, hordes of fans read her comics, Um, but they just don't write her that much. I, I don't know if they just don't know what to do with her, couldn't find a place for her, I don't know, but when she shows up, people love to read her stuff, so um, I myself am an Elsa Bloodstone fan, uh, really, really enjoy her family dynamic. There's been a little bit of that, that was uh, put out in a special, I believe a bloodstone special uh, for death of Dr. Strange, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that where you actually meet a third bloodstone. She has her brother and there's Elsa, and then you meet a third bloodstone sibling. So um, Elsa starting off in this, Werewolf by Night may extend into seeing her in further parts of the Marvel Cinematic Universe when we get into more stuff like the Black Knight, whatever that'll be, the Blade movie, those kinds of kind of, um, Defenders kind of style projects, I guess. And, of course, uh, it has to be noted that as a Halloween special, they are setting this movie up to be, um... I believe, entirely black and white filmed like a old-school horror movie, um, which is very, very cool. I, I would be totally down to watch a modern movie filmed in that style, so we'll look forward to that coming, I think, I would assume, on the 31st or around that time of October, obviously. As for some general announcements that they made, first off, Peter Pan and Wendy are getting a... I believe, live-action spinoff movie, good for them. So is Mufasa. Remember what I said about why did they make that live-action Lion King? This falls into that as well. Uh, but on a better on a better note, Disenchanted was shown the first poster. This they announced, I think, last year. Um, and I have been thoroughly excited because this is the long-awaited, I guess, sequel to Enchanted, which was starring um, Amy... Amy uh. Adams. That was, that, was, that was an easy one. I should have known that. Amy Adams. Also, Patrick Dempsey, James Margin, Adina Menzel, great stuff. Um the sequel we're finally getting called Disenchanted. It looks quite magical. Um and I'm just generally excited because I love I love the first movie. I'm sorry, I do. It's fantastic. Um really great stuff. <laughs> It not only is it great, but it is it brings up a lot of happy memories and things. So um really excited for Disenchanted. Also excited for the uh let's see, they call it Tiana's Bayou. Um is that well? Bayou? There's Tiana's Bayou, yeah. That's how they are reimagining the Splash Mountain ride at Disneyland here in California. Um I know people were like up in arms about, oh, they're redoing the ride, they're taking away. Who actually knows anything about? the briar rabbit and all that like do kids these days know any of that no they they know tiana 100% um and if you look actually at the photographs of the 3d model that they put out from the reimagining of the ride it's not that much different um in appearance it's just kind of translating it to be bayou but i mean it already is bayou basically as 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 the fox in the hair or whatever, right? And so they're just putting a different set of characters in the bayou, basically. I don't know why people were open arms, but it looks really good, and I hopefully someday will make it back to Disneyland once that is finished. Getting now into Lucasfilms news here. We had a couple of shows that people uh, showed up for. Shows that people showed up for. Huh. Words. Uh, first off is Ahsoka. We obviously knew about this show. It was not announced. But we had on stage Dave Filoni and John Favreau. And we had it announced that Ezra Bridger is officially going to be in the Ahsoka live action show played by Iman Esfandi, which if you're familiar with, the character of Ezra Bridger. Please look up this actor, Imanis Fondi. Uh, He looks... It is uncanny how much he looks like Ezra Bridger from the animated show Clone Wars. Not Clone Wars, the other one, Rebels. Uncanny. Crazy stuff. Great choice. As long as he can act, that's gonna be stupendous. I imagine he can. Um and then the Bad Batch, they talked about The Bad Batch season two is coming. It will have a two-episode premiere on January 4th, 2023, and then will premiere weekly subsequently. Also in Lucasfilms, Skeleton Crew is Jude Law's mm, Star Wars thing that he's doing. The story we know is gonna be about a group of lost kids during the New Republic era. We kind of already knew that, uh, so not actually a whole lot of information here, but apparently they did show a first look at Jude Law's character, who is currently nameless. Finally, at Lucasfilms, they talked Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones 5, uh, where Harrison Ford took the stage, got emotional, and said that it will be the final Indiana Jones uh, film laughing and saying, he will not fall down for you again. Or I says, I will not fall down for you again. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, director James Mangold took the stage with cast members Harrison Ford and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, where they also showed apparently a teaser. Um, as long as Harrison Ford isn't being forced to do something he doesn't want to do, I don't really care that this movie's being made. You know, if it's good, it's good. And finally, moving into MCU news, Uh, we had the first uh, real look at the titles for Daredevil Born Again and Captain America New World Order, which we'll talk about uh, both uh, more in a little bit. The Thunderbolts cast took the stage. We have Julia Louise Dreyfus, uh, Red Guardian, Ghost John Walker, Taskmaster Yelena Belova, and Bucky Barnes. Obviously, Julia Louise Dreyfus is not... The actor, I mean, is the actor, not the character, and the rest of the characters. One thing that people are saying about this roster is that um, they pretty much are all the same character, and I think that's kind of the point. They're all characters who have been, uh, in their eyes at some point, betrayed or used, um, and are now kind of embittered, you know? Um, A lot of people have critiques of there's too much coming from the MCU shows all at once, I would say they probably have a reason for that, and that reason might be absolute failure in this Thunderbolts team. And I don't mean the project being a failure, I mean the plot being that they are a failure. They are just terrible, and you can't just pick up and be a superhero, basically, I think is what it's going to end up being. Um... And we'll, I don't know, we'll see how that goes. Loki season two was talked about. The cast showed up on stage with newcomer K. Hui Kwan. They showed a little bit of footage and confirmed that the show is currently in production. Quantum Mania, they had the same footage from Comic-Con, but with an extended scene with Kang. He says something was taken from him and only Ant-Man can help steal it back. Scott says no deal. Apparently he ends up taking Scott's daughter and that's kind of how that happens. The cast is Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, and Jonathan Majors. I believe they all made it on stage, and it will link directly into the King Dynasty movie. Also, Jimmy Woo, played by Randall Park, is of course returning, which I am quite excited for. The Marvel's cast of Brie Larson, Teona Paris, and Iman Vellani showed up on stage with director Nia DaCosta. They showed a trailer where, quote, Zawe Ashton plays a mysterious villain who carries a hammer-headed staff, unquote, which is making a lot of people think an accuser. Um, The accusers are a car- we saw Rodin the accuser previously and we know now that Carol actually has her sister in the comics, well, half-sister, who is an accuser as well. Um, so there's a couple of There's a couple of cool things that that, that she could be playing. Of course, Carol's sister is not a villain, but you can always start off here and, and mature, you know. Captain America, New World Order, the most exciting part about this news was that the leader, played by Tim Blake Nelson, is confirmed to return to the MCU in this movie as the villain. We last saw him in The Incredible Hulk in 2008, where Banner's blood or serum of blood or whatever it was dripped into a cut on his head and his head expands and they just kind of leave it like that. Um, we're going to see the outcome of that. Obviously, we know Emil Blonsky from that movie has shown up in the She Hulk show, which is currently premiering. So it's, I mean, on that note, could he be showing up in the She Hulk show? I would be so down for that because I, my husband and I were talking about it. He is more of a She Hulk villain than a Hulk villain. Um, So the fact that they're even putting him in New World Order makes me very curious um, about what's going to change between. Where we are now in the MCU And by the time this movie comes out I'm very curious That's my mail truck There they go um, Echo, we had the first footage of the Echo show here confirming Wilson Fisk's return. His left eye was bandaged over from the gunshot wound. She did shoot him in the face. Of course, he's not dead. It is going to explore Maya's indigenous history. Um, a cool, she's going to have a cool looking bionic leg attachment and will shows her battle with the track suits using deafening sound amps. Um, Because obviously that won't affect her So we've got some really cool stuff coming for the Echo Show I just hope that they market it appropriately And by that I mean The same amount they market everything else To get people excited for it Uh, The Daredevil Show, Born Again Vincent D'Onofrio was on stage for the Echo Show As well as the Daredevil Show Charlie Cox did join him on stage To talk about Born Again Which is going to begin production in 2023 Of course Vincent D'Onofrio plays Wilson Fisk Fantastic Four, um, this was absolutely hilarious, in my opinion, because (laughs) everybody coming up to this event was like, oh yes, oh yes, they are gonna, they're gonna confirm the Fantastic Four cast. No, what they did was they confirmed the director, which is as far as they've gotten with that. Um, y'all are way too ahead of yourselves with this, like, oh yeah, I'm mad because they didn't give us a Fantastic Four... They just nailed down, just nailed down the director. Who do you think picks the cast or starts that process? It's the writers and the directors. If they don't have a director, they're certainly not going to have the plot written. If they don't have any of that. They can't cast anybody unless they really have somebody in mind already, like the so, the fairly solid rumor of Jodie Comer, which was not addressed. Of course, Kevin Feige literally only said that Matt Schuckman is directing, and that's all the news that they had for it. Which seems perfectly appropriate to me because we are probably quite a few years out from getting that still. Um, But again, Jodie Comer has been rumored to play Sue Storm. It was obviously not addressed, Um, but I just happen to remember now that she was honored with some kind of award recently, some kind of prestigious acting award, I believe, um, that is exactly the kind of person who I think Marvel would be looking for for their Sue Storm. Just saying. Uh, moving on, Armor Wars, we already kind of mentioned that Secret Invasion is going to uh, set up the Armor Wars show. They have not begun production yet, but it will be six episodes. Iron Heart has Jim Rash returning from Captain America Civil War as MIT guy, where he will be cracking down on Riri Williams' engineering projects. We also have Anthony Ramos confirmed as Parker Robbins, a.k.a. The Hood, who is, he deals with dark magic and stuff. There were a few shots of Riri's new armored suits, um, and the, the plot of the show is going to be very much technology versus magic. And there are some people who brought up Jim Rash uh, being a teacher at MIT. Is he playing the Dean? like Like in Community, the Dean? Holy shit. Um, That would be great. And finally, Wakanda Forever. Ryan Coogler showed some new footage on stage, which was followed by a sizzle reel of new shots, including Namor swiping away blasts, Atuma leaping up out of the water, and more. So that covers all of the MCU, well, really everything that was announced at D23. As for Disney Plus Day, the things that were put onto the streaming program included Thor, Love and Thunder, Marvel Studios assembled the making of Thor, Love and Thunder, Obi-Wan Kenobi, A Jedi's Return, and the Simpsons short, Welcome to the Club. Comic book picks, like I said before, we are going to have three weeks of picks here from the 31st, the 7th, and the 14th. Starting off with the 31st, uh, Thunderbolts number one was pretty good. I would say that there was not enough female action and far too much Hawkeye. I do not like the character of Hawkeye. Uh, there were also some throwbacks to the older generations and older team members who were on those generations of the teams, which were really, really nice, um, to get some of those fun throwbacks. Amazing Fantasy 1000, uh, was all about various Spider-Man stories being told, uh, The best two one was by Neil Gaiman. It was a story about him actually meeting Steve Ditko, which was a really, honestly, very nice story. And I highly recommend you check that one out. Uh, The other good story is, um, I mean, undisputedly, indisputedly, the... (laughs) It's like, if you could rate these 1 to 10, this was a 12. That's how good this was. And you know why? It was because it was written by freaking Jonathan Hickman. And I knew that as soon as I started reading it, because there's something about the way Hickman writes that he's so... I don't know what it is. It's just the intelligence of it or the familiarity with the characters. I think it might be a little bit of that. Um, I feel like Hickman, you can tell that he's, he's, he's read these projects, these characters for years. A lot of creators, they feel like they miss a lot of detail, but Hickman, Hickman's feels like when he writes stuff, it feels like he's been in it with you as a fan. Um, but anyway, his story won that one, absolutely no competition, uh, 58 out of seven. I don't. I don't even know. I can't even describe how good it was. But anyway, uh, the variance number three, um, we have now for Jessica Drews, and so they gather basically prime Jess of the six one six. I guess is what they're who she is. She thinks that Kilgrave put a backup weapon in her brain, like his original uh trial conquest, who then killed her family ten years to the day after Kilgrave took her. It is now exactly ten years to the day for Jess Prime, hence her having gone the last issue to ask She Hulk to watch her to make sure she doesn't hurt her family. Luke goes to stay with their daughter Danny at a fancy hotel. Uh, with Misty Knight watching over them, they're great friends and teammates. He has an encounter with a dude called Jesse in the elevator, which ends in Jesse's death. But before he dies, he mentions uh, that someone is coming for him and Danielle. So clearly Jesse is a male variant of Jess. What the heck is going on? So then Jess Prime leaves the coffee shop and the waitress... Uh, Or she goes to leave the coffee shop and the waitress wrote a note on her receipt that says, don't trust them. That obviously has to mean the other variants, right? What the heck is going on? A male Jess and then... The Waitress knows something? I don't know, but I'm super into the series. X-Men number 14 was Wild Whatever. Uh, Firestar got her new look, although for some reason magic is still in her old one. Not sure why. Wonder Girl Annual was fantastic. You have Jerry the Pegasus's Origins. Uh, it's actually a number of stories here. You have one, two, three, four stories. The first was Jerry's Origins. Really fun story. The second one was the Festival Folklorico de Parentins. I'm sorry. I probably said that really bad, but I tried. Um, that is a Brazilian festival. I believe the third is a story of an Amazon woman becoming a villain called the Kuka probably said that one wrong too. And the fourth is a, monster who attacks Akaim. Acaim, Akaim. He was the bus driver, right? Um, I think is who that is. He, um, he ends up getting saved by Yara, but yeah, the something that was really, um, really nice about that particular story was that the Escasida, who are the Amazonian tribe that Yara comes from, um, they are portrayed as having a very large variety of body types. Um, with the Amazons and the um, Bana McDalls, you tend to get, you know, just warrior types. But with these Amazons, you get you know, more of, like, the lithe warrior, you get the bulky warrior, you get the, you know, this one clearly can, you know, and this all have different physical forms, and so they they seem to be very much, um, kind of go, it seems to go along with what it is that makes them a good member of their escasita, you know? I, I just really enjoyed that. Harley Quinn annual, um, Oh yeah, and the Wonder Girl annual ends with only the beginning, so hopefully we'll be seeing a lot more of her soon. Again, this is another character that we just don't see that much, Yara Floor. Uh, Beloved anytime she appears, but just hasn't been in that much. Uh Harley Quinn Annual it does wrap up the Task Force XX plotline which I have not been keeping up with but the team is apparently Harley Quinn Bronze Tiger Luke Fox Verdict and Killer Frost I really really like the art from these from this issue um although it did switch halfway through which is I always find very odd they successfully rescue Solomon Grundy and Lashina in this issue Lashina is a female fury Uh, The second story is about Harley in Las Vegas post-adventure with the art by David Baldion and seems to be much more setting up the next arc of the Harley Quinn series. And finally, Vampirella Year One, Number Two has a lot more backstory as expected. Lilith being a bad bitch, you know the drill. Now, moving on to the week of the seventh. Uh, We only have a couple here. Oh, just kidding. We have quite a few. We have Poison Ivy number four. We're going to start with uh, in this issue. Ivy gets a new job. It's basically Amazon. Um, her boss is absolute garbage, human garbage. Um, her fungus is slowly spreading across the country, and it slowly kills her as well, uh, and due to this, she hallucinates all kinds of crazy colors and shapes. She's working at a shipping plant, so the spores will basically uh, will go all over the country. Again, it's basically Amazon. No worker rights. Super creepy boss. So Ivy... Takes it to him, busts into his office. She poisons him while telling him to write to corporate with admission of his sins here and glowing reviews and raises for his staff, plus the signing off of their intent to start a union here. Again, this is definitely Amazon. <laughs> the poison seeps into him and he sees her as a hallucination of a plant monster, basically. It's very cool. There's a brief mention of the green man thinking Ivy's body belongs to him. I still have issue of that being made canon. In the original story, or the original origin, the most the origin before that, we'll say, <laughs> um, she 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 wasn't made a sexual victim of him. She was just a victimized woman. I I much prefer her just being victimized than sexually victimized, but whatever. Uh, can't do anything about that now. Uh, the girl at her job ends up kissing her, and they leave together. They go back to Ivy's place, and they uh, they do the do. And as that's happening, Ivy imagines Harley Quinn in a corner watching her, which is like, was a very funny page out of context. Um, and afterwards she, at Ivy, she admits to herself that she wants to live to find Harley. Uh, and then at the end, an emissary of the green attacks her, uh, and she is decides that she is going to have to find the green man before he finds her. Death to the mutants, number three, uh, had some interesting bits about the various eternal monsters and creatures that were going around, um, you know, one of them made, uh, while she's doing this massive battle on Kurkoa she made a, uh, online profile and is reading all kinds of old stories and stuff and making friends on the internet while she's doing this battle just because that's, like, they're such big beasties. they It's just what they do. Um... People are judged, you know, by the by the Celestial that they created for whatever reason. I'm still not sure why. Uh, And Eros is finally released with the goal of him working to undo all the harm that his lineage has done rather making up for it. Immortal X-Men number six, uh, Sinister wishes to prove himself. We kind of go over stuff we've already seen, Celestial Destruction Plan that goes badly wrong or right, and then turns out to be a vision. Uh, Destiny is judged by a super creepy Victorian-era raven. Uh, Lucas Wernick absolutely kills it on the art, and the Black Keen King, King King, um, Shaw, is the narrator of this issue. He speaks with Eros at the Hellfire Club, and we have a reveal of Mother Righteous, who is a demon that Celine was working with before Hope one-shotted her in the head. So now I guess uh, Shaw is going to be working with her. So that obviously going to cause problems, but we'll see. Uh, new mutants number 29 was absolutely friggin' adorable. Gabby goes missing. So Akihiro, Dakin, her older clone brother, whatever. Uh, and James Proudstar, not John. I thought it was John. It's James. It's the younger Proudstar. They go out to find her. Basically, uh, Dakin Akihiro is very mad at a Proudstar for being like kind of the leader of the new mutants, but as in Dakin's point of view, losing a track of where Gabby is. They basically they they figure out that um she's safe, everything's fine, and they go to talk it out. Um they find her back on Kokoa, she says so she just got lost. Um and Dakin has to kind of admit, Akahiro, he has to admit that um he was really worried about her after everything that happened with her dying. She, I don't know if you guys remember, she died a few issues ago. She was killed. Um, and he has to kind of admit to himself that that is why he is so freaked out when she goes, you know, missing, if only for a few minutes, really in this issue. Um, so then they find her, everything's great. And after Dakin leaves, James pulls her to the side and says, Hey, if you were lost, you wouldn't have gone into that building because basically she said she got lost in this building and there's all these orcus people there, you know, they're villains, and she ends up, like, slaughtering them all. Um, and she's like, oh, yeah, I just did that because I got lost. And he was like, yeah, no, you went in there and you did that on purpose. So she's she's just doing her own superhero things, and I'm cool with that. Go Gabby. She-Hulk number six. Patsy finally makes an appearance. I love it. Uh, She got information on Jack of Hearts from Tony. They joke that her nemesis is love and it is eat cake and dresses Wednesday. I absolutely love that. Nightcrawler is waiting for her in uh, Jen's office. He says, is it eat cake and fancy dresses Wednesday? Patsy was always trying to make that a thing in the Defenders. Hank talks. (laughs) That was really cute. Um, and he's in her office and she was like, oh, I can't do superheroes. And he says, I was discreet. That's why I wore a hat. It's an old Brad Pitt trick, which of course is a joke of how, you know, superhero movies and stuff. They just put on a hat and oh yeah, it's like Superman in his glasses. You suddenly can't tell who he is. Um, he wants Nightcrawler. He's basically there at her office for her to rep all of mutant kind. All of it on behalf of Krokoa, Mallory is originally upset um that there's mutants in the office until she hears that it's for Krokoa and they are been hired um not hourly, but um, what do they call it on uh? whatever, payroll or whatever. I don't know. Um, but she gets super excited about that. Uh, and she says, Oh, I might even hire another attorney. So great. Uh, It turns out Mallory is actually dating awesome Andy. Um, he says he's doing it right this time. They references to mind control, Starfucks, all of that stuff. Um, there is actually also very good lettering in this issue. Um, Especially in the part where she's speaking to awesome Andy, it does a good job of capturing the uncertainty of some of that, Jen wanting to protect him, and him trying to, you know, he says, oh wait, no, I'm a partner here, she's not using me, I'm a partner at this law firm, you know, they are doing it right this time. And then Jen speaks a bit on throwing bits of her career away in order to keep being a superhero, which has happened quite a lot in the past. I think they actually mentioned in this issue where she walks away from um, the Supreme Court (laughs) to fight Titania at one point. Um, which is pretty wild in itself, but that is a great example of what she's talking about. In uh, the end of the issue, they find that Jack of Hearts' radiation levels have finally gone down to human levels, uh, and they end up making out a whole bunch, and she carries him off into their bedroom. So my whole thing that she's a slight sex addict is still legitimate. But just as She-Hulk, not as Jen. Um And finally, from the week of the 14th, we have Midnight Suns, where a uh, vision of Zoe Lebeau destroying the world is seen by all magical beings. Um, Clea appears, uh, but then doesn't show up when the rest of them show up. I don't really understand that. Um, Acts I don't know what we're we calling it, Judgment Day? Judgment Day number four. Uh, the Earth as a whole is given a thumbs down, so... Um, that is not good for them, but there were cool bits before that of various people being judged and the insights that come from that. So that was nice. You know, we got Magneto, we got, I know we got Captain America a few issues ago who was judged a failure, which I totally understand. Um, some really good ones. So you can check that out just for the insights on those characters. Um, I thought that was pretty cool in itself, but Earth is given the big thumbs down. And so they're going to they're gonna be wiped out tomorrow. Uh, And then finally, Captain Marvel number 41, uh, in now New York City, Carol lets the dragon win this time, which beats the test and releases the stolen child, which is her good friend from way back in the Kelly Zootoconic series. Uh, The Tribunal of Magical Folks agree to let her go, but they are definitely going to keep keeping an eye on her, keeping tabs on her. And finally, L'Oreal gives Binary her emergency beacon that Carol gave her so that Binary can go off into space and find herself. Um, We're going to be without her for a couple of issues, but then I think in the December solicits, Binary is going to be back. So uh, she'll be back in the December Captain Marvel, still written by Kelly Thompson. I've set up the comic book polls for the week of the 21st a little bit different. Um, I'm going to be going through by publisher as opposed to by... Um, Let me switch this up a little. There we go. Publisher, as opposed to... Make sure I know what I'm talking about. As opposed to by just the numbering. So we're going to start with indie comics and then Marvel Comics and DC Comics. So from Scout Comics, Azza the Barbed Number 1. It's written by Pat Shand and art by Rio Burton. Azza was born into a family that for generations served in the Obsidian Guard, a military unit of holy warriors. During Azza's coronation, a magical ceremony that would imbue her with a holy glowing power, something went wrong. Instead of the sacred obsidian tattoos, she became marred with thorned black markings and was banished by her people. Now, Aza lives in solitude, guarding a great evil, but when that evil escapes and begins to spread its wicked power, Aza must make a choice. Save the people that expelled her or allow her home to fa- hometown to fall to evil. With an emotional, comedic, and awe-inspiring story of empowerment, Oz of the Barbed blends fantasy, adventure, mythology, horror, and action in this unforgettable new series. With a cover by Liana Kangas. From IDW Publishing, Crashing, number one, by Matthew Klein and Morgan Beam. Rose Osler is a specialist. Her focus? Patients with powers. At a hospital with a no-powered patient's policy. When a battle between Boston's protectors and destroyers erupts, that's a tongue twister, Rose is trapped between saving the city's beloved hero by day and greatest villain at night. Except Rose could become a casualty when she's forced to risk her recovery. As Rose pushes past her limits to save everyone else, will she be able to save herself? Covers here by Morgan Beam, Jorge Corona, and Liana Kangas, who is apparently having a great month. Barbaric Axe Grind number 2. I am physically enraged that I have not been able to find the first issue of this because I love this friggin' series, uh, this is from Vault Comics by Michael Morici and Nathan Gooden. The cover variant cover by Corin Howell, who I highly recommend you look up on Instagram. The you know what hits the fan as Owen, Soren, Axe, and Seal find themselves in hostile territory. We gain deeper insight into Seal's vampire curse, and Owen encounters a tree god who's just itching to get chopped to pieces. Cutting down trees, after all, is what axes do. From Image Comics, we have Public Domain Domain Number Four and the Debuttiest Bouquet Number Two. Public Domain is by Chip Zartsky, written and drawn. He says the legal battle is done, but the fighting has just begun. Sid looks to the future as Miles runs from his past. Can he find happiness? Can any of us? Honestly, I'm not sure. I think the most we can ever hope for is to feel content. But what do I know? I'm killing myself writing and drawing comics. That was obviously written by Chip Zartsky himself. uh the deadliest bouquet i already mentioned it's a cover by adriana Mello. it is written by erica schultz and drawn by carola barelli the hawthorne sisters aren't the only ones with questions the cops have some of their own with jasmine doing some freelance work outside the was jasmine doing some freelance work outside the flower shop is that what got her killed where was violet last night and will poppy ever let Derek know what's really going on from Ablaze, we have L's number two. Again, haven't been able to find the first issue, but I fully intend to. This is by Kid Toussaint and Aveline Stakar, with covers by Aveline Stakar and Mel Milton. It doesn't take long for Elle's new friends to realize there is something different about her. Even Elle suspects there is more to her situation than her therapist is willing to admit. But as everyday stress and some bad news start to accumulate, Elle fears that she will reveal another personality that will upend the new life that she is living. Finally, from Dynamite Comics, Samurai Sonia No. 4 by Jordan Clark, Pascal Coano, and covers by Clayton Henry, Leary Lee, Pascal Coano, Zelema uh, Scotto Lavina and a cosplay cover. At Marvel, we start off with Exterminators number one, which is a new series. Enter the Grindhouse of X. When Jubilee and Boom Boom agree to take Dazzler out for a night on the town to console her after her nasty breakup, they have no idea they're about to be kidnapped and put into elaborate death traps for their efforts. What are three girls with powers to blow things up to do? Leah Williams and Carlos Gomez put the X ex in exploitation in this tale of blood, sweat, and revenge. Uh, so as covers by Federico Vincentini, Tom Muller, Inyuk Lee, The Dodsons, Arthur Adams, David Nakayama, Jay Anna Cletto, and Scotty Young. Avengers number 60 is an issue with uh, Mark Russell on helm instead of Jason Aaron. It says the higher rooftop, the Avengers' ace archer is back. As Judgment Day looms, Hawkeye is called upon to justify his existence. As a benchmark, Hawkeye must prove that he brings at least as much joy and usefulness to the world as a, ran- as a randomly chosen mailbox, which admittedly is a pretty high bar. Uh, Judgment Day tie-in and a variant by Nuri Dur. Fantastic Four number 47 does come with a full new creative team of David Pippo's and Juan Cabal. The Taking of Baxter, 1, 2, 3, 4, Part 1, Judgment Times 4. With Judgment looming over the Marvel Universe, Reed Richards has locked himself in his think tank in search of answers. But with the fate of humanity on the line, what happens when Obliet Midas whoever that is, sets her sights on the Baxter building. As the Fantastic Four falls before the Exterminatrix's death traps, oh, okay, only one hero remains standing. But if you thought Oubliette was dangerous, it's nothing compared with what the Invisible Woman is capable of. Get ready for Die Hard in the Baxter building, as we've only got one thing left to say. yippee ki Marvel Universe Islands just said motherfucker. <clears throat> there we go. Uh, and it is, again, a Judgment Day tie-in. It has a beautiful Russell Dotterman Sue Storm costumes variant and a John Tyler Christopher Spider-Man Beyond variant. Avengers Forever number nine has Carol Core in the plot, which is why I'm curious about it. I don't normally read this series, which is by Jason Aaron and Aaron Cooter. Semper Carol. Call in the Carol Corps. Earths lay in ruin. Earths lay in ruins all across the multiverse. Avengers are assembling from every corner of creation as never before, knowing that the war of all wars is looming. And when there's war, you know it's time to call in the corps. The hardest, the most hard-hitting special ops squadron of elite high flyers and photon arm commandos ever called to service, the Carol Corps. Judgment Day number 5 is by Valerio Shitty art by Valeria Shidi, written by Kieran Gillen, covers by Mark Brooks, Inyak Lee, David Nakayama, the Dodsons, Peach Romoko. This looks just like the cover for, the covers for Exterminators. That's funny. Peach Romoko, Todd Nock, Lucas Wernick, um, his is a Destiny variant. My cats are being weird. Strange number six, Wong takes center stage, because of course the series about Clea can't be actually about Clea. Someone has stolen pieces of Wong's memory, but he's going to need them back to stalk the blasphemy cartel. It's up to Wong and Bats to retrace their steps to find the truth, Because could this memory be better off forgotten? They still insist on saying this is a legacy Doctor Strange series, which even further continues to take credit away from Clea. This is by Jed McKay, who clearly has not read very much about Clea before, and Lee Garbett. With covers by Lee Garbett, Jorge Fiornez, and Leonardo Romero. Finally, New Mutants number 30, the 40th anniversary of X-Men's useful misfits, is by Vida Ayala and Alyssa Wong, with art by Jeff Shaw and Alex Linz. We have covers by Lionel Francis Yu, a Rod Reiss uh, incentive magic costume design variant, Bill Sienkiewicz, Rob Liefeld for some reason, Bob McLeod, Leonardo Romero, and Sabine Reich last we have DC Comics with Batman One Bad Day, Two-Face number one. It's a a mouthful. By Marco Tamaki and Javier Fernandez. Two-Face has always been viewed as Batman's most tragic villain. If only Harvey Dent hadn't been scarred by acid, he could have continued his good work as DA in Gotham City and been Batman's greatest ally and friend, right? Or has Batman extended Harvey Dent too much grace in his multiple attempts at reform? Who questioned himself as Harvey Dent is free once more, scarred but seemingly free of Two-Face's influence. But when it's revealed Harvey Dent's father has been threatened to be murdered on his 88th birthday, will Two-Face be able to resist joining the party? That's that's all they got there. Covers by Jim Lee, Art Germ, Christian Ward, Brian Boland, and Giuseppe Camoncoli. And the last one here, Deceased, War of the Undead Gods, number two. The undead Dark Side begins his assault on the galaxy, attacking Korrigar first. Could the fate of the planet depend on the Yellow Lantern Corps teaming up with a Green Lantern? Also, what horrors do Big Barda and Mr. Miracle find on New Genesis? Certainly not their son, alive. <laughs> Sorry, that was dark. Covers by Howard Porter, Kale New, Dan Mora, Francesco Mattina, and Sun Kamonaki. We are going to cover episodes 3, 4, and 5 of She-Hulk, which premieres on Disney Plus on Thursdays, all together now. Um, so it's going to be episode 3, The People vs. Emile Blonsky, episode 4, Is This Not Real Magic? And episode 5, Mean, Green, and Straight Poured Into These Jeans. <laughs> so starting off the third episode, I'm going to have a Forbes article linked below that really fantastically speaks on... Um oh... <laughs> the duality that we are facing in this show, not only that, but the um, the irony of just everything in the plot. Um, first off, I have to note, Wong on his paperwork says that he worked at Target before becoming a commertage librarian. Uh, when the video plays showing the title News reporter on She-Hulk, you can spot the other related videos, which include headlines that are very familiar, like She-Hulk Not Real, Theory, Superhero Hoax, The Truth About So-Called She-Hulk. A lot of online comics She-Hulk is getting are negative and talk about why does every superhero have to be a woman now? This, um, as pointed out by a certain article, is a playful call-out. <laughs> Oh, they are much more playful than I would have been. Of the real-life comments made about the MCU female superheroes, most recently about She-Hulk. In fact, She-Hulk, attorney at law, has been getting review-bombed by similar trolls on sites like IMDB and Rotten Tomatoes. When someone goes live to talk about She-Hulk in the show, you can even read some of the comments being posted, which include more people hating on She-Hulk, as well as someone hoping she talks about endangered lemurs. (laughs) Which is obviously so important to her agenda. Uh, Mallory Book is introduced in this episode. She is a nemesis of Jen's from the comics, um, who is actually now her boss, and things are looking much better. Because again, I guess men just cannot write female friendships that are not founded in hate. (laughs) Um, Wong also is confronted about breaking Emile Blonsky out of prison. Uh, He accidentally admits to a bunch of other illegal stuff when testifying at the ensuing trial, at which point he just gets up and leaves because, honestly, he can. As Jen leaves the prison, then, one of the reporters asks if she got her Hulk powers from a, quote, mafia hit gone wrong, which is very funny because that's how she got her powers in the comics. uh where the trask mafia um was sent after her they shot her in a hit and run in front of her house uh she did not die on the spot her brother bruce was there who was a doctor as we know um and he was able to use a a life-saving blood transfusion of his own blood to keep her from dying because i guess he just didn't think that she would turn into a she-hulk after that um We also have Megan the Stallion in this episode. One of the main plots is that this elf named Runa um, is portraying her, (laughs) is pretending to be her to trick people for money and stuff. Um, And so uh, we see Megan the Stallion, the real Megan the Stallion, shows up at the end in the end credits scene. To sign on as She-Hulk's client And twerk together Which I'm sorry But if you hate that scene I hate you Episode 4 Is this not real magic? Amateur magician and expelled Camertage student Johnny Blaze Has his sling ring Which he stole from the Camertage Uh, People... Uh, by people I mean fans, thought that he was going to have a connection to Johnny Blaze, a.k.a. Ghost Rider, but they revealed at the last second basically that it's a D and not a J. Uh, I genuinely think that they did that to troll people. He is a magician, amateur magician, and his shows are quite bad, so he decides to use his stolen sling ring to send uh random audience participants to limbo, or perhaps it was hell. And here we get Madison with uh, two N's and one Y, played by Pat. Guggenheim. She did a great job. She is the party girl always in search of the next party. She is the one who is accidentally sent by this Donny Blaze character to hell or possibly limbo, and according to her recount afterwards probably made a deal with Mephisto in the form of a goat nothing seems to phase her. Uh, she calls Wong Wongers, and they are totes new drinking buddies. As for Wong, um, Jen has a bit of a fourth wall break in the beginning where she says, God, everybody loves Wong. It's like giving the show Twitter armor for a week. Obviously referring to the online fans, or rather the opposite of that, haters, who are upset um by anything that happens in the show. I have from another article here, quote, Jen jokes that the inclusion of Wa, a character who is well liked and revered across all corners of the internet, will protect the show from Twitter's trolls Twitter trolls' aimless critiques until the next episode. This is just another great example of how well She-Hulk handles its meta references and understands how the kind of series it is. The showrunners are aware of what goes on between fans online and have built lines into the script to call Twitter users out, just like they did in last week's episode. The self-awareness She-Hulk is more the self-awareness of She-Hulk is more enjoyable as even in its critique of online behavior, uh, it continues to occur, further embellishing the satire. Unquote. Uh, so Wong basically wants to um, sue Donnie Blaze for not practicing magically responsibly. They go to court and it is at first decided that Wong does not have any authority to tell Donnie what to do. Uh, they even bring Madison there to tell her tale of woe, of being off to sent off to... Uh, Helimbo. Later, one of Donnie's shows gets really out of hand when he can't close his portal to Helimbo, uh, and a bunch of demons come through and make chaos. Um, at the end of the episode, Wong's new bestie Madison joins him, uh, to binge watch This Is Us eat popcorn and discuss their favorite drinks. Also, he apparently also likes The Sopranos, although she spoiled that one for him. There is a dating app conundrum that Jen runs into in this episode. Uh, The fact that she uh, is not wanted as Jen, she is wanted as She-Hulk from men. Um, She really doesn't get any hits on this dating app as Jen, so she makes a profile as She-Hulk, and lo and behold, tons of matches, and also, of course, tons of very mid-core dates. They are all obsessed with She-Hulk in some way or another. Finally, she does date one guy who she ends up really liking. He's super respectful and listens really well, and is also wild buff, which helps. Uh, Of course, she brings him home with her, and they are interrupted then by Wong, who is um, sling-ringing into her apartment from Donnie's absolute mess of a magic show, the one that he couldn't close the portal for and asks for Jen's help. They are most definitely fighting demons from Limbo in that sequence, which is super cool. Jen has some really good moves, absolutely smashes the beasts, often literally, and amazingly, when she goes back to her place, the guy who she brought home with her is still there, uh, reading a book on feminism, of all things, and they pick up right back where they left off. It seems perfect. Unfortunately, in the morning, reality does hit. Jen reverts back to herself overnight, and seeing no need to be She-Hulk now makes her breakfast for her new lover boy. But when he surfaces, he is actually fairly disgusted by Jen in her normal human state. He sees her, and you can clearly see the expression change to just absolute disgust. It's very sad, and he just leaves her alone there with her two breakfasts. Um, In the end, Jen is confronted by legal paperwork, as Titania has trademarked the name She-Hulk and is suing Jen for using it. Uh, Some also think this is a nod to She-Hulk's origins, so to say, which I think could totally be true because she was created to um, prevent anybody else from being able to trademark a female Hulk character. At one point in the episode, we see on Jen's computer in her office, her to-do list. So let's go over some of those things. The first, prepare guidance language for Blonsky's inhibitor. The inhibitor was mentioned in last week's episode, um, but we still, I guess, I guess she's making it. Not really sure. Uh, Order highlighters from Supply Clerk, purple and green. It's obviously a reference to her She-Hulk and Hulk colors. Edit to-do list, two hours. Uh, I guess she has... A really big to-do list. Uh, buy and read How to Make Friends and Influence People. Um, obviously that is the real book by Dale Carnegie. Sign up for Big and Tall membership, which obviously relates to her needing a new wardrobe. Um, Jim, LOL. Uh, I don't think she needs to work out. Follow up with Blonsky's soulmates, uh, who we saw in the last episode. <laughs> they were all women. Um, in case anybody was wondering, um, are they really buying in the property or is he like? forcing them. (laughs) I'm not really sure how that's working. We we probably won't even figure it out. Then it says, order those new Cheetos you saw and then order more chopsticks, because she eats the Cheetos with chopsticks. Then stop wasting chopsticks. Uh, And then file Discovery Drive for Kraft v. Soul. That's referencing uh, comic book writers David Anthony Kraft and Charles Soul. Follow-up on Jansen Class Action. And draft season desist for Pete v. Runa, which is the the um, Runa the Elf who we saw in the last episode Who would uh, impersonate Megan the Stallion Finally, episode 5 Titled Mean, Green, and Straightforward Into These Jeans," <laughs> Which is, of course, the tagline from her dating profile So we have to deal in this episode with the Titania lawsuit Titania is a social media influencer, basically Jamila Jamil is Completely unrecognizable as her. It is incredible. She does a fantastic job. I love it. Uh, Jen tries confronting her in person as Jen before they end up in a court, but it doesn't help her case at all. Coworker Mallory Book is going to be Jen's attorney on this case, despite neither woman really wanting to work with the other. On the day of the case, uh, it turns out Jen has a pretty hard time proving she was serious about using the name She-Hulk before Titania was, but they do come up with a pretty good plan. To help prove she was using the the name She-Hulk before Titania, she has to go to her dating profile, which she made in the last episode as She-Hulk. She then brings in a number of her dates from the last episode who talk about their night together in order to prove she was identifying as She-Hulk by name. Even the guy who left her hanging in the morning came by, Testifying that Jen really isn't his type, but She-Hulk, She-Hulk is great. <laughs> this is also where we get the title of the episode, of course. Um, there's so a lot of people who seem to be missing the duality of of Jen and She-Hulk. The point is that She-Hulk is hot, but people don't think the same stuff about Jen. That's kind of a big part of the point. <laughs> and if you don't get that, I don't know what to tell you. Um all of this, um, she bringing the dudes at the, at the court case and everything, all of this is more than enough evidence to prove that Jen does hold that name, not Titania, uh, who loses her lawsuit. But before she goes, of course, she does uh, leave She-Hulk with a threat that this isn't over. The court scene, the whole the whole court stuff, all the court scenes, are pretty funny in themselves because Titania clearly has no idea what she's doing and her lawyer is just supremely embarrassed to even be there. After winning the case, Jen powers down and takes Mallory to a bar for a celebratory drink. They do make a fantastic team and are becoming friends, so take that dance lot, and all other men who can't write female characters interacting unless they are fighting. Ha uh, and her clothes are also greatly addressed in this episode. We have um her two little office buddies, whose names escape me at the moment, uh, go to the secret costume guy in a froyo joint and ask about the good stuff. At first, he acts like he doesn't know what they're talking about, and then he brings them to the back room where they find a Avengers merch, not Avengers merch. It's a Avengers merch. You have ripoffs of the Avengers. This Thur, Hawkeye, Iron Hulk with an O. Uh, Iron Man has more red than yellow. Captain America has an eagle on his helmet and shield. Um, Hawkeye shoots with a hawk claw and is blue. Thor is a redhead wielding a shovel instead of a hammer. Uh, the Hulk is purple and has a mustache. And Black Widow has a scorpion logo on her chest instead of a Black Widow. <laughs> Um, but anyway, they do finally get the right info for the costume, the superhero costume guy, and they make an appointment by claiming that She-Hulk is already an Avenger. So when the day comes, She-Hulk shows up to see what the designer has made. He gives her two garment bags, one full size and one smaller she- smaller. He tells her to put the smaller one under the bigger one, so that's obviously going to be her super suit under her work suit, and we'll no doubt see them both in the next episode. The designer also walks past a garment bag with the new Daredevil suit poking out and closes the lid on a box with Matt's yellow uh, new yellow Daredevil mask, so we will probably be seeing him next too. As for the end credit scene in this episode, there actually is no end credit scene, which was pretty odd for them to start off with them and then take them away. <laughs> um, we usually would go the opposite. Um, but the, there were doodles of characters and whatnot, including Pug, that's his name, Pug, Pug and Nikki, That's their names, um, Pug's shoe collection, which he did mention to Nikki earlier in the episode. I really don't know how canon all this is, but the shoes in the drawing include uh, shoes designed after Deadpool, Wolverine, Cyclops, The Thing, Hobgoblin, Nova, Ghost Rider, Iron Man, Captain America, Hawkeye, Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, Spider-Man, Black Panther, Moon Knight, Vision, and more. Many of which have not appeared in the MCU. I would not take any of this as confirming that they're in the MCU. Um, Somebody had a really fun theory that um, Madison bumped into America Chavez uh, on her trip to Limbo or whatever, and then she ends up bringing all these shoes back for Pug. It's very loose, but it kind of makes more sense than him having all of these shoes of these characters who we haven't met yet. It's something weird and multiversey, you know, the way that it bees. <laughs> and that wraps up this week's episode of Sensational She Geek from Yancy Street. Again, this is a catch up episode, um, so it's gonna have a lot of stuff that we still haven't quite covered, uh, but it's mostly comics. Um we are gonna be covering the <clears throat> The Harley Quinn finale, Rings of Power, um, and possibly even House of the Dragon on the next episode, so be sure to stick around for that. We'll also be talking the latest episode of She-Hulk, of course, which is going to premiere tomorrow on the 22nd. Thank you very much for listening to this week's podcast episode. I hope that you'll be coming back for more as they come out. Uh, and don't forget to miss, or don't miss, <laughs> this month's special, which is going to be about Jessica Cruz Green Lantern. Uh, that is over at DC Comics, and I'll be posting that a little bit closer to the end of the month. Have a great week.